Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Crawford Gribben. Today, my guest is Anthony A.J. Williams. Anthony is a political scientist who's taught at University of Liverpool and Manchester Metropolitan University. Today, we're talking to Anthony about his new book, Christian Socialism as Political Ideology, The Formation of the British Christian Left, 1877 to 1945. Anthony's new book has just been published by I.B. Taurus 2021, perhaps appropriately enough, an imprint of Bloomsbury, which we might talk about uh, later on in terms of Fabian politics too. Anthony, congratulations on the book and welcome to the show. Thank you very much and uh, thank you for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. It's great to have you here. Before we begin talking about this new book, Christian Socialism as Political Ideology, could you tell us something about yourself? How did you come to write this book? Mm. So I uh, come from a Christian background, uh, but also quite a socialist one. So I became interested in Christian socialism uh, when I first started becoming interested in politics when I was at college and then university. And when I was an undergraduate, I wrote an essay on George Lansbury. The, um, the tutor for that particular module was quite impressed with it and invited me to uh, submit a proposal to write a history of Christian socialism uh, at, at doctoral level. Uh, and when I got into Christian socialism a little bit more, I found what I was really interested in wasn't so much a history of the movement, because that's been done quite well by other writers like um, Alan Wilkinson and Chris Bryan, for example, but more what are the ideas and uh, beliefs of Christian socialism, uh, because that's not necessarily been focused on, certainly in more recent years. Uh, Hence, Christian socialism as political ideology. I'm interested in the ideas and beliefs and key concepts of Christian socialism. Uh, Since uh, writing the book, as you say, I've been uh, teaching political theory at uh, University of Liverpool and uh, at Manchester Met. Now, Anthony, lots of people who hear this title, Christian Socialism as Political Ideology, which is the title of your book, might be quite surprised by it, especially because where most of our listeners live in the United States, there's not so much of a tradition of a Christian left. So could I ask you to explain as a way into the book, what kinds of Christians are interested in socialism and how important is Christian socialism as a political and also as a religious tradition. Yeah, I think that's right, because we have this idea of Christians necessarily being right wing, uh, both in terms of social conservatism and in terms of support for free market economics. And that's an idea that does come to us from a large extent from the United States. You go back to the religious, the emergence of the religious right with Ronald Reagan uh, and those groups like Moral Majority, 
which backed Reagan's presidential campaign. And you have this avowedly conservative, avowedly Republican religious right made up largely of white evangelical Christians. But that, to a large extent, has become our image of what Christian involvement with politics is like. Uh, and that obscures, I would say, uh, the, the Christian socialist tradition uh, in here in the UK and to an extent in the United States as well. Uh, you have movements like the social gospel in the 19th century. Civil rights movement is arguably a Christian socialist movement in the mid 20th century. Uh, there's liberation theology, of course, coming from Latin America, a black liberation theology of the United States. So there's a whole tradition here of left wing and radical Christianity uh, that perhaps people are less familiar with. And that certainly uh, goes for the UK, a long tradition of radical Christianity. Um, you could go back to the diggers and the levelers uh, in the Civil War era and taken these ideas of equality and cooperation from the Bible and trying to put them into practice. You go back even further to the Peasant Revolt, the same sort of ideas. More recently, uh, the Christian socialist tradition, you could say, really begins in the mid-19th century with Frederick Morris uh, and uh, John Ludlow, Charles Kingsley, uh, that group of people uh, who tried to develop more collectivist ideas for how the economy should work, again, based on Christian ideas that, that we may come back to. Uh, but these were perhaps more paternalistic, perhaps more conservative. Morris in particular was quite aristocratic. It was more for Morris, certainly, that he wanted to challenge socialism from a Christian perspective uh, rather than anything more radical than that. Uh, he didn't want to restructure the economy, really. He certainly didn't want to restructure um, the the order of society uh, that he thought actually reflected God's ordering of society. So it, it's a few decades after that, that's kind of mid-19th century, a few decades after that when we start to get what I would say in the UK is a genuinely uh, socialist form of Christian socialism uh, with uh, Stuart Headlam found in the Guild of St. Matthew, uh, arguably the first socialist society in the country. Then you have Henry Scott Holland and the Christian Social Union, and then others like Keir Hardy and George Lansbury into the 20th century who form part of the Labour Party itself. Now, how important is this tradition within the churches of the people who are affiliated with it? And correspondingly, how important is this tradition within the tradition, the broader tradition of socialism itself? Hmm. Within the churches, there's a very much a mixed response. So the more radical socialism of uh, Stuart Headlam, for example, uh, which is aligned in Headlam to a kind of bohemian lifestyle. He was quite interested in the music hall and the ballet and and saw these things as all representative of, of incarnation of, of God's good involvement uh, with creation. And this, this was scandalous at the time uh, that he would go to a music hall or go and watch a ballet or encourage people to play cards even. Uh, the the conservative-minded Church of England establishment uh, were not particularly happy with Headlam. The more cautious views of uh, Scott Holland uh, and Charles Gore 
and the Christian Social Union, they gained a great deal of acceptance within the Church of England. And this arguably paved the way for uh, William Temple later on, another key Christian socialist theologian, to become first Archbishop of York and then the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, and the Church of England developed much more of a social conscience, uh, I would say, out of that period, uh, late 19th, early 20th century. Other churches uh different. Um, so, for example, uh, John Wheatley, who was a Labour MP and a, and a devout Roman Catholic, uh, he found a great deal of opposition within the Roman Catholic Church to the extent that his own parish priest would preach sermons against him and an enraged mob left mass and, and went to surround Wheatley's house and had to be... Um, had to be calmed by Wheatley, who gave quite an eloquent speech under the circumstances about how uh, their rights as children of God to, to own uh, the to own collectively the land and, and the, the the tools that they worked with have been stolen from them by the capitalist class. Um, and we find uh, a very much a mixed response in in the Baptist Church, for example, uh, John Clifford. Um, he was head of the Baptist Union of England and Wales, found some support uh, among Baptist churches for his socialist ideas, and he was able to found a free church socialist league. But at the same time, uh, some of the Baptist churches broke away, and it was Clifford who was the president of the Baptist Union when Charles Spurgeon led uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle out of the Union, uh, uh, and many churches became independent Baptists because they favoured the more conservative, Calvinistic, uh, reformed theology. In terms of the labour movement, uh, this is quite a significant strand within the uh, the labour movement uh, because the Labour Party in this country uh, and, and the broader labour movement wasn't necessarily highly influenced by Marxism, uh, but not even by perhaps French-style ethical socialism that preceded Marxism is much more of a, um, I think, drawing on this democratic Christian socialism, uh, this specifically Christian ethical critique of capitalism and the application of, of the ideas that come out of that. And that's why uh, the Labour Party isn't um, trying to in this period, isn't trying to bring about a violent revolution, but at the same time, uh, it's not merely a social democratic vision of trying to contain and manage capitalism. It is trying to push the Labour Party in this period for a completely new order of society and the economy. And that's the contribution, I would say, of uh, the Christian socialists. Now, Anthony, your book is about Christian socialism as political ideology. So as you analysed that ideology, what did you discover to be some of the key ideas of Christian socialists? And where did they draw those ideas from? So the, the key ideas of, of Christian socialism, um, I think the, place, the best place to begin is with this idea of the brotherhood of man. And here we have a concept, Brotherhood of Man, which is the link between theological concepts and, and political concepts. Basically, the Brotherhood of Man does mean 
exactly what it suggests, that all human beings on earth uh, are part of one large family. Uh, they are all brothers and sisters. Uh, and that idea is drawn from, as I said, a theological concept, the fatherhood of God. Christian socialists held to a view, which other Christians might hold to as well, of God as being a universal father. Uh, and this is something that perhaps um, more theologically conservative Christians might, might question. Uh, but nevertheless, there was this idea of uh, God's universal fatherhood and therefore the consequent brotherhood of man. So we can, they then went from this idea of brotherhood of man to uh, what does that suggest for how we should live, uh, how the economy should be structured, how society should function. And there are three key concepts, really. Um, the first being equality. Like all forms of socialism, equality is core uh, to Christian socialism uh, as political ideology. Um, and that seems fairly straightforward. If all people are brothers and sisters, then all people are equal. Uh, there shouldn't be uh, hierarchies within society. There shouldn't be uh, racist or sexist discrimination. So you have Christian socialists like Margaret Bonfield and Ellen Wilkinson and George Lansbury being very much involved in the uh, campaigns for female suffrage, for example. Um, Christian socialists tended to be opposed to imperialism and to empire building. They didn't regard people in other parts of the world, colonised peoples as being inferior. Uh, they also interestingly um, didn't believe that one class, one social or economic class was superior to another. So they didn't have a Marxist view of the proletariat. The working class has been uh, the driving force of history or the only class that mattered. Uh, even someone like Keir Hardy um, regarded capitalism as being something of a curse for all classes within society. And I think on, on equality, it's worth saying as well, the Christian socialists weren't just talking about equality of opportunity. Uh, they weren't moving towards equality of outcome where people had an equal share in society and in its resources. Uh, so I suppose linked to that, another concept derived from uh, Brotherhood of Man is uh, cooperation. If people are represent a family, then they should cooperate with each other. And here uh, they drew on, uh, R.H. Tawney, for example, drew on uh, the idea of uh, the body that we find in First Corinthians, where not every person in society represents the same thing, absolutely the same, uh, like a human body, um, has different members, different organs, uh, they all serve different functions, but they are all uh, cooperating with each other in order to achieve the same end. Uh, again, more conservative, theologically conservative-minded Christians might say, well, that picture is about the church, not society. But nevertheless, Christian socialists like Tony um, suggested that we could apply that to society and say society should function like a human body. Uh, in this uh, cooperative way. Most Christian socialists also favoured uh, some form of collective ownership, whether that was state ownership of industry or whether it involved um, workers' cooperatives. Uh, most viewed cooperation as requiring a degree of collective ownership and collective management. And thirdly, the, the concepts that come out of Brotherhood of Man 
democracy. And this is where Christian socialism uh, can be seen as a, a democratic form of socialism, not just in terms of how they wanted to get to a socialist society, but because Christian socialists regarded democracy as being a fundamental part of socialism. Uh, and new, the new socialist society had to be democratic. It, it couldn't involve simply um, a dictatorship, even if it was a dictatorship of the proletariat. Uh, Tawney, for example, uh, said that what he wanted to see in industry was a democratization of industry. Uh, and that links back to the idea of cooperation, where uh, workers would have a say in their own industries, not just receive orders or be dictated to by owners or managers. So the, the key ideas here are quality, cooperation and democracy. It's very striking in, in the book, that emphasis on democracy. And it made me wonder, given that so many of the people who are part of this tradition came from quite hierarchical churches, churches that are not known for their democratic order, it made me wonder whether these Christian socialists were wanting at any point to take their view of the state back into the denomination from which they had come. Certainly some did. I think for those from a nonconformist background, they would have been more used to the idea of democratic governance within the church. So Keir Hardy, for example, was a member of um, uh, the uh, a congregationalist church, and that means that the members of the local church make decisions for themselves about how the church should be run. Um, but others you know, who came from more hierarchical churches, uh, such as John Wheatley, uh, and he, I think he struggled with this tension where, uh, as a Roman Catholic, he was required to obey um, church teaching, but it was often church teaching that he disagreed with. So this was uh, at the time when uh, Pope Leo Thirteenth said that socialism uh, was unchristian and Christian socialism was a contradiction in terms and really struggled with how to reconcile his own uh, socialist views with his Roman Catholicism. Uh, for someone like Stuart Headlam, a member of the Church of England, he was actually unusual among um, uh, Anglican clergy because he wanted to see the Church of England disestablished so that it could be controlled by itself, the church could run itself rather than being a branch of the state. It's fascinating. So uh, you, you've mentioned there, Anthony, how a number of these Christian socialists were drawing on biblical ideas or images or ideas or images taken from the, the Christian tradition generally. Were there any other important sources of their thought? How important, for example, was Marx or other classical political thinkers in the way they formed their ideas? Mm. Uh, so there are a few key figures, Marx among them. Uh, so you'll find from uh, Keir Hardy, for example, arguments which uh, reflect Marx's economic analysis. Uh, so he'll talk about, uh, John Wheatley does this as well, uh, talk about uh, surplus value and that the profit which is produced by the working class is being stolen, is being uh, uh, appropriated by those who own property by the bourgeoisie, the, uh, the, the factory owning, uh, industrial owning class. Uh, and they're very clear that uh, they agree with Marx on this point, that uh, the workers are producing the profit, but that profit is kind of being skimmed off 
uh, by the people who own the means of production. Uh, Henry George is another key figure. Uh, so he was quite influential in the 19th century in proposing a solution to um, the problem of land values where those who own the land but didn't perform a useful function, didn't do anything with their land to benefit society, uh, were able to make huge profits just because sometimes where their land was. And he proposed a single tax by which uh, a great deal of that profit could revert to the state and be redistributed. And particularly Stuart Headlam was very keen on this single tax idea. As well as that, there's the influence of the Fabian Society and this idea of progress towards socialism, uh, which you see brought out from the Christian socialists. So there are other, uh, certainly other influences, important influences. But to a large extent, it seems that these uh, Marxist ideas, for example, uh, Henry George's ideas were brought in to bolster the Christian, the biblical critique of capitalism and the idea that this brotherhood of man should result in equality, cooperation and democracy. So they weren't the driving force behind the Christian socialist vision. They were more um, extra arguments, if you like, extra evidence to support uh, critique of capitalism and uh, the uh, advocation of socialism. Now, what what happened in the thinking of these Christian socialists when positions that were often taken by socialists in this period came into conflict with positions that were often taken by the church? For example, on marriage or, or gender roles or e even the use and abuse of alcohol, for example. W was there any sense in which this is a conservative socialist tradition? I, I think there are... Uh, elements in which this was a conservative tradition. Um, so you find that people like uh, Samuel Keeble, who's um, a Wesleyan Methodist who founded the Wesleyan Methodist Union for Social Service, as well as George Lansbury and Keir Hardy uh, were teetotalers. And Keir Hardy actually entered politics as a you know, campaigning against the, um, uh, the trade in alcohol because he believed that it was evil. Uh, and you find quite a moralistic tone from Keeble, for example, criticising the working class for not organising themselves and fighting for better conditions instead of wasting time drinking and going to the pub and gambling. Uh, and that was Hardy's attitude as well as in, a, in, in his earlier years. Uh, he came to see that people drank too much or spent too much money on alcohol. That wasn't the cause of their condition. It was because of their condition, the way in which they were exploited by capitalism, that they turned to that uh, as a way of escape. But nevertheless, you know, conservative attitude when it comes to uh, when it comes to alcohol, uh, the same when it comes to marriage and gender roles. Now, even Stuart Headlam, who courted a great deal of controversy by um, supporting Oscar Wilde when Wilde was being um, tried and, and, and convicted for uh, homosexuality. He didn't think that socialism had anything to say about marriage and he supported the idea that even under socialism, marriage should remain one man and one woman uh, because marriage couldn't be or shouldn't be socialised or collectivised. So there is a conservative, um, I think, current uh, within Christian socialism 
And you find that uh, even today with some Christians who have left-wing views when it comes to economic issues, uh, but uh, remain socially conservative. Uh, perhaps that's a problem for Christian socialism, uh, for left-wing Christianity going forward, because um, it's a question mark over whether the contemporary um, secular left, if I can use that term, uh, will accept um, those who are left-wing economically, but perhaps more conservative on social matters. Mm. Well, you describe brilliantly in this book, Anthony, this tradition of Christian socialism and a number of these representative figures who are trying to balance the demands both of their faith, their religious faith, and also their political convictions. Uh, and, and you show that they're driven by this radical critique of capitalism at the same time as they're often balancing that against a much more conservative moral vision which they are provided uh, from their particular faith background. But how did that play out when it came to their thinking about the strategies by which a socialist order could be realised? Christian socialists didn't tend to um, support violent revolution. Now, they used a lot of revolutionary language. Um, so you'll find that, especially those within the Labour Party, would talk about uh, creating revolution, uh, would talk about fighting and, and overthrowing. Uh, but to a large extent, this seems to be perhaps sometimes kind of rhetorical excess, uh, perhaps sometimes metaphor uh, for battling in terms of winning power through elections, because that's really what their aim was. Uh, it was a, a democratic method of trying to win socialism, of trying to bring about socialism. Um, and, and broadly speaking, um, sometimes they were not, the most helpful in terms of setting out clearly what they were trying to do. Sometimes they were quite unhelpfully vague. Well, you can kind of distill from the various Christian socialists a method of trying to bring about socialism, which begins with trying to persuade people within society of their need for socialism. Because without that, uh, it, it, socialism wasn't going to work. Uh, R.H. Tawney, for example, wrote in uh, The Choice Before the Labour Party, that one reason why the Labour Party can't succeed is because the population isn't convinced of socialism yet. And without the population behind you, without the people behind you, government can't actually put anything into practice. Uh, so that was the first step. Uh, the second was that you would get either a Labour, the Labour Party into government or uh, more what Stuart Hedlam or perhaps Henry Scott Holland were aiming for, that those who were already in government, whether they were Liberal or Tories, would themselves be persuaded of socialism. And finally, once you've got that scenario, uh, a society that wants socialism, including those in government, whether Labour or otherwise, socialism can be established peacefully uh, and voluntarily. Uh, I've suggested that Christian socialists... For Christians, this is kind of a, a middle way between revolutionary socialism and democratic socialism. Insofar as democratic socialists like uh, Bernstein in Germany, for example, uh, found themselves, once they were no longer committed to revolution, they were no longer committed to overthrowing capitalism, even democratically, even peacefully. Uh, so you end up with a more social democratic view of uh, the state ameliorating capitalism, whereas for Christian socialists in this period, 
and to an extent for the wider labour movement in this period. Uh, they weren't trying to make a violent revolution, but at the same time they were trying to make a revolution of sorts because they weren't just trying to manage capitalism, they were trying to overthrow it and achieve something different. I was really stuck, struck by that uh, passage in the book, Anthony, where you talk about methods to achieve the socialist order. Um, and you really emphasise that they had a much clearer view of what they wanted to achieve than an understanding of how they would actually achieve it. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? Were these... Is this a party of dreamers or utopians, or did they actually have a practical politics in mind? I think there is a tendency towards utopianism, uh, and you can see that uh, if you read some of the visions that they had of what a socialist society would look like, uh, not just radically different, but almost uh, an otherworldly difference, uh, with Hedlam, for instance, talking about uh, all premature death being abolished and all the children of England will be fed and clothed beautifully. Um, these kind of visions of all ills, all war, all conflict, all hunger, all ignorance just being abolished and swept away. It, it's a highly utopian view. Uh, that's not universal to Christian socialism. Uh, William Temple and, and R.H. Tawney, for example, warned against this utopian uh, tendency. Uh, but it does seem to be the majority view that um, this wasn't just going to be uh, a changed society, uh, but there's almost going to be this, this massive spiritual change as well uh, that will have a real um, impact on every conceivable form of evil. And I think this is derived from the idea that to the Christian socialist, the coming socialist society is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven on earth. So for more, um, again, I would say theologically conservative Christians, uh, the kingdom of heaven is really more of an eschatological reality uh, in which when Christ returns, the kingdom will be recognized in full and it will be the rule of Christ over his creation. But for Christian socialists, it's more to do with uh, a new form of society, a collectivist, um, egalitarian, democratic order of society in which capitalism is swept away and socialism is achieved. Uh, and you find that in Christian leftist movements in other times and places as well. Um, it seems to be a common theme from the social gospel to liberation theology is this view of the kingdom. And it does lend itself to a very utopian view of what can be achieved. And I think that's why, to some extent, there isn't this clear-cut vision of how to get there. Because sometimes when it's hard to try and think tactics, you can default to this is God's work and God will bring it about uh, and perhaps not do the hard work that secular socialists have to do in trying to plan how they're going to achieve their aims. Fascinating. Well, Anthony, it's it's a fantastic book that you've written, Christian Socialism as Political Ideology, The Formation of the British Christian Left, 1877 to 1945, just published by IB Taurus 2021. Conscious that we've taken up a lot of your time today, but before we wind up, could you tell us a little bit about what your next project might be? Certainly. So I'm hoping to do some more work on Christian Socialism. Uh, because the 
this book is limited in um uh, in chronology it ends in 1945 with uh the labor government uh setting up or, or really massively expanding the welfare state uh here in the uk there's later work that needs to be done work on later christian socialism in the uk and also the christian left in in other contexts such as some of the ones i've mentioned like the social gospel like uh, liberation theology like european christian socialism uh, there's more work to do and i definitely think uh, that it would be interesting to do some work on christianity itself as political ideology uh, and to try and think how does christianity interact with the political ideologies why do we get these different strands christian socialism christian democracy uh, the christian right uh, why is it that Christianity can give birth to such wildly different and, and opposed forms of political thought. Mm. Well, that sounds like a really important project and very timely too, given the present circumstances of the early months of 2021 when we are recording this. Anthony, thank you so much for writing this book, Christian Socialism as Political Ideology, and thanks for coming on to the show to talk about it. Thanks for your time and take care. You're welcome. And thanks to everyone else for listening in today. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast.